in that beautiful show. Again, we continue our study in heaven, and uh, we hope again to bring some ideas from God's word as we consider answering questions about heaven. There are many questions that are asked about heaven, and we hope the scriptures can give light uh, concerning what it says about heaven, this place where you and me uh, that have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ will be for the rest of our lives, or for the rest of eternity. Uh, it's sad to hear about the, the news of uh, uh, the brothers past, and we trust again uh, that God, who allows such things, will undertake for his family, as well as uh, be with the church. Uh, Corinthians is one uh, chapter that tells us about death, how the death will die itself. Do you know what that means? There will come a time when you and me won't be dying, but death will be dead. That's what it says. The sting of death will be removed. And it says, where, O oh, death, is your sting? That's what the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians, beginning 50, going down. There's coming that time. Before that time, we wrestle with the gospel. Before that time, we believe the gospel. And then one time, we're going to experience all the fullness of the blessing of the gospel. Today we again consider answering questions about heaven. There are many questions that can be asked, but I just chose another set that we can look at this morning. In this life, there are many, many different places, different times and locations that have served the Lord faithfully in obscurity and they've gone unnoticed and then there are some that have suffered great injustices in the line and call of the gospel. The many that have gone having felt as though they had failed the task because they suffered at the hands of brutality, the hands of sinners. And just like the Lord, they were killed in some cases. Others were not heard faithfully or justly. And they went out of this life as though it's, it's, it's a lost cause. There are some that arrange flowers in different churches that don't get noticed. There are some that are busy serving the Lord in different ways, in hospitality, in different ways of serving God, who are never recognized in this line. But all those in heaven, they'll be fully recognized. Everybody who has been a faithful servant of Jesus Christ will be fully recognized and fully rewarded. So be encouraged as you serve God. Uh, don't, don't so much focus on you're not recognized. Uh, that's immaterial. In fact, it will shock many of us that on the day when we get to receive our rewards, that it won't just be automatic that the preachers will be in front. There will be some that were not known to us, that served in our lifetime, that were faithful in the service and business of the gospel, that will get many rewards from God because God is a faithful God. So don't be surprised if you get so much rewards more than, more than some of us that preach the word regularly. And maybe the rewards that you get are confined to the kitchen world or to the home world. And Christ so 
all that service coming to him from the context of the home. So don't just say, I'm just a housewife. There ain't no such thing as a housewife. Everybody who's serving Christ, doesn't matter what you're doing for Christ, small or great in the sight of God, it's great because serving the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So it doesn't matter where you're serving, as long as you're serving Christ, what you're serving is actually something that is honorable. The first question that we begin looking at today is, where is heaven? From the words in which we get heaven, it's clear that heaven is above. Now, where above are we talking about? In Acts chapter 1, verse 11, as he was with the disciples, having given them commands in the Holy Spirit about the gospel, he finally gets caught up right in their sight and finally goes into heaven. So heaven is up from our vantage point that is down. So when we're looking up beyond the skies, that's where heaven is. But how far is that place called heaven? Again, we saw last week in Acts chapter 7 that how that when Stephen was being stoned, it says heaven opened up and he saw the glory of God and Christ seated at the right hand of God. Again, heaven is up from that text we can tell. Do turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3 and 4 as we read about the location of heaven. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 says, And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or after the body, I do not know. God knows. He heard things that cannot be told and may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast, uh, but, uh, but on my own behalf, I will boast except uh, of my weakness. Now in verse 3, it talks about how that this man was noticed, caught up, was ruptured up into the heavens. So the direction of heaven again from there is up, wherever up it is. So Paul is saying that as he was in this world, that he knows of this experience where Paul was caught up, and there he was caught up into paradise. So paradise is up there. How we get to paradise is still a mystery. So don't think about how we go up in terms of uh, whether it's in a plane or just climbing up the tallest of buildings. Uh, that's not necessarily the feeling. It would just be like in a moment to the point that Paul didn't even realize whether he was still in the body or out of the body. A story is told of D.O. Moody that one time he's taken out sick and before long D.O. Moody is gone. And before long he gains his consciousness again. And then he says, if that's what heaven is like, for the earth is receding and heaven is opening up, I would rather go and be with Christ. And that's how he died and went with Christ, to be with Christ. Heaven is up. Paul talks about how that he was caught in the third heavens. That's what some versions say. So there's the atmospheric heaven. When you look in the Genesis count of creation, it says, and God made the earth and the heavens. It's talking about the atmospheric heaven. There's the planetary heaven as well above that. So where there are planets, we don't know how many there are. I think about 10 have been officially recognized up to now. But beyond that, in fact, let's just dwell a little bit on some science here. Did you know 
how vast the universe is. Just some serious contemplation on the universe gives us an idea of how small we are and how great God is. The universe has galaxies that has billions of stars. Ours is the Milky Way and it's one of the smallest of the, the, the galaxies that are there. The Milky Way has the sun, has the planets, and has the stars around it. That's just one of it. And there are many of them. And there are billions of stars out there. In fact, there are billions of galaxies that contain billions of stars. How great is God? In America, there's one game that they used to do. I don't know if they still do it. This man, I forgot the details, but he gets to be in, in what is called uh, some balloon. So he gets there, and the whole idea is to see how far he can go. So he goes, and he just exceeds the place where they think nobody can be alive in that place. And he continues to go high and high and high. And everybody has lost hope by now. But fortunately, by the mercy of God, he comes back, and when he lands, Everybody's expecting him to say about how that he's broken all the records before him. But then he says, the first words out of his mouth, he says, sometimes it takes to go high to know how small we are. That's what he came out believing. After he saw the earth from the vantage point of the skies and how far that he was, he realized how tiny and small that human beings are, but also the planet that we live in. That's why the sin of pride is really a scam. Because it makes us think that we are that big and that important. We only go up to maybe 70 and 80 years and plus. That's very little in the sight of God. And yet this God that has created this vast universe is a God that even indwells in us mystery of mysteries that we cannot comprehend. So after the planetary heaven, after this universe, above that is the heavens. Remember in Isaiah 6 when, when heaven opened up to him and he sees God high and lifted up. What he sees is God who is high and lifted up. And it just brings awe concerning what he will live uh, in this life. As Isaiah ministers in that uh, dispensation that he's ministering in, that vision never leaves him. How great this God is. How that God is highly exalted. And all these fairy creatures around him, they're crying to one another, Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We see a similar scene in Revelation as well as in Ezekiel. How that God is worshipped in a highly and exalted way. This God that is above it all. And the scene in Isaiah 6, it says, The king has just died and all focus was on the king. And Isaiah in the temple, he's already a Christian, has, has this grand revelation. That behind the sins of the kings, of the rulers of the earth, is this God that is high and lifted up. This God that is in heaven. That's what Isaiah sees. And many of us stop at, at only looking at earthly leaders. We only stop at looking at those that are ruling. 
And yet there's God behind the scene. That's how confident we must be in life. Because God is actually behind the scene. Orchestrating everything that happens here on earth. Nothing happens by accident. And like Job says, no man can thwart his will or purpose. Paul says, who can wrestle him down? And the, 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 the rhetorical answer is that nobody can. Paul also talks about nobody can resist God. This is a God that is in heaven. And heaven is high up there. We have already seen from Revelation 21 that there's going to be a readjusting of the, the present existence of earth and heaven and where God is located, where the presence of God is located. There's going to be that uh, reorganization of all that. So the current heaven will be reorganized in a place where now God has his dwellings with men. That is coming. Where is heaven? Heaven is up. It's up beyond the atmospheric heaven, the planetary heaven, and the third heaven. That's where heaven is located. That's where the presence of God is, is um, immediately experienced. God is everywhere, but there's this immediate presence of God where those that have died have gone straight into the presence of God. Second thing we look at is, what will he do in heaven? Similarly to what we do here on earth, Life is about worship. Did you realize that? Now, I'm not saying you go around singing hymns all day long. That, that's not necessarily what worship is. But life is about this consciousness that God is in charge. That God is who he says he is. Like Peter says, that we are humbled down, acknowledging that God is almighty. And so we live in constant humility and constant awareness of this God that is high and exalted. What will we do in heaven? Heaven is a place where we're going to rest. Those of you that are elderly can relate to this statement that people say, I'm tired. And they don't mean tired like in the, in the present, but tired over life, over the course of life. But heaven is a place where everybody will be rested in the presence of God. Do you imagine what that would be like? How that today we get exhaustion and we just want to get relief from exhaustion. Not so in heaven. Heaven will be a place where you and me are eternally at rest. Listen to what uh, Revelation chapter Revelation chapter 14 and verse 13 says, Revelation 14 and verse 13. It says, And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. From now on, Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, and they may rest from their labors, for their deeds will follow them. Here is where we labor and toil after the, the, the case that happened in Genesis 2. It's now labor and toil and sweat, but heaven will be a reversal of that. We'll no longer just labor, we'll actually be 
resting in the presence of God. Now this won't be resting where we're not doing anything, but we'll be doing anything without exhaustion, without ever growing tired. Can you imagine? Being in eternity, having done whatever those activities will be in eternity, and yet never being tired. There won't come a place where you feel as though you need to be rested permanently in terms of ceasing from work. But there will come a time when we shall rest. We shall rest in Jesus our Sabbath, like uh, Hebrews chapter 4 talks about. It says there that the dead do not labor. Those that have gone to be with the Lord, their work is done. Now they are resting. They're in a place that is far better than the place that we are in just now. Yes, it's a blessing of being alive, but there's far much blessing for those that have died and gone to be with God. You hear this in a number of churches where they say that uh, we thank God that we are alive today and we didn't die. It's as though those that have died are disadvantaged. Those that have died are not disadvantaged like we suppose. Death is the enemy of God. And it says in 1 Corinthians that death shall be destroyed. So death is an enemy. It's not what God intended. But, but we know that this life compared to the life to come, the life to come has it all. It wins. Because there in heaven, there's nothing, like it says, that is cursed. While here on earth, we have everything that is cursed and the product of it. Have you ever thought about how that, uh, maybe just wondering, when am I just going to have some relief in this life? Have you ever been there? Where things just keep coming at you, different places, and now you're thinking to yourself, am I going to have rest in this life? My encouragement is this. Rest in this life is a product of God's mercy. We may have some of that, but a lot of it is reserved in the life to come. This is a life where we have toil, where we have sweat, where we have pain that affects our bodies, that affects our emotions, that affects our inward being. This is a life because it's intermingled with the effects of sin. So when we get rest, how we need to praise God for the momentary rest that we get in this life. And these are but glimpses of glory when finally in heaven we shall be rested from all that ails us in this life or anything that makes us tired. Heaven is a place where we will be rested. Heaven is a place where we shall praise God. We shall join in anthems of praise with all the creatures in heaven, with everybody who is in heaven and indeed all the earth, everything that God has made will find its culmination praising God in heaven. Revelation 11, Revelation 5, verse 11 to 14. It says, And I looked and I heard around the throne, and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and worthy and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Verse 13 says, And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne 
and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped God. In Revelation chapter 4, one thing that I should have mentioned earlier is that when John hears a voice like a trumpet, he says, Come up here. And John is here on earth. He says, Come up here. That's where heaven is. And he's caught up in heaven and experiences the glory that will be. Here we see this worship of Jesus Christ. Now, there are cults that go around that tell us that Jesus is not God. No, not so in heaven. In heaven, it says, all creatures of the earth, they do it. They are worshipping God. In fact, this is the culmination. It says, everything here on earth. It says a similar thing in Colossians chapter 1. That everything in heaven and on earth and under the earth will finally give God the glory. Do you know what that means? That means all the other founders of religion will finally worship Jesus Christ. But it will be too late for them, right? So you can talk about Muhammad, Confucius, and everybody else. Charles Tess Russell, and all those that founded religions that were forced will finally bow down before Christ. In Philippians, we told that every knee shall do it. Every knee shall bow before Christ. It's either we're going to bow before Christ in this present life, or we shall be compelled by his glory to be on our knees to praise and worship God who lives forever. So you and me must check our lives to see whether our lives are in constant awe of this God who is called Jesus Christ. If you read heaven and this passage that I've read to you, do you get the idea of boring here? I don't think you get the idea of boring. When you hear people say, I don't go to this particular church or that church because it's boring, there are two ways you can understand that. Maybe they're analyzing the music. The music could do better. Maybe they're analyzing from that context. The other one is because they haven't seen the glorious God. There's no way you can encounter this God and remain without worship. Everybody that encountered the Lord Jesus Christ in his glory fell at his feet and worshipped. Remember in Matthew, it says that they're doubting whether he's been raised from the dead. And it says in Matthew 28 that when they saw him, they did what? They fell at his feet and did what? And they worshipped. They worshipped the Lord Jesus Christ. If, if our worship starts with seeing God, the rest falls in place. But if we start with organizing the music, organizing the preaching, and organizing these things, then our worship will just be of a certain level. It says people that are in all of God care less about what happens to them. In heaven, when they see Christ, it says in Revelation 5 verse 14, and the four living creatures say, Amen. And they're talking about the blessing and honor and glory and might forever. And says, and the elders fell down and did what? Worship. Today when you fall down, you are, you are correct. No, you need to stand, right? The question we should be asking is, are we under awe? Do we get awed by the presence of God? Or we are clueless about what that is? You can start with our lives. Do you find yourself in the closet, bowed down before the glory of God? Is that something you know about or something you just read about in the scriptures? 
Heaven is a place where we shall be in awe, in worship of uh, this, this triune living God, and we shall see his full expression in the risen Christ himself. I don't know about you, but for many years I thought Christ was the one that was in the painting. Those paintings are powerful, right? For many years, and I would pray, it's, it's those paintings that I would have in mind. Not anymore. That's not Christ. The Christ that now worship is this Christ that is described as the all-powerful God. This almighty God that has always existed. It says in John 17, that now, Father, restore the glory I had before the foundations of the earth. That Jesus was alive is something that was clear, well alive before the creation. In Colossians we read that everything that was made has been made through him. That's what John echoes as well. Christ was there before the foundations of the earth. How that this great God became human is wonder of wonders. And even more mysterious is how sinners interacted with Christ and for most of it we are clueless about who he was. We can talk about the ones that crucified him. We can talk about the ones that were in his house. Can you imagine having a child who doesn't do anything wrong? I'm sure a lot of you parents would want that, right? A child that obeys you in everything. A child that does everything right. Sleeps at the right time, wakes up at the right time, honors the parents. That was Christ. It says in the very early stages when Christ was 12, that Mary held up these things in her heart. And if scripture is true about what it says about women and, and how that sometimes they can talk about many things, but Mary held these things in the heart. We see a similar thing in uh, Mark 15. After Christ has been raised, how that they get to experience these things. And it says, and they went about and they told no one. And those were women. And they told no one. Can you imagine what that, how profound they were affected by this Issues that had happened at the cross. And they told no one. They were in awe. And they went about. Now, a lot of you are acting as though you don't know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> I'm not too sure why. The expectation, as you read in Mark, is that immediately they encountered this thing, the word would have spread. And they would have told many people around. But no, they didn't. They were exercised with fear and joy in their hearts. As they were going, they were wondering about what they've encountered. Christ is dead no more. He's alive. So in heaven we shall worship God. And this will be worship that will begin with us being awed. Be filled with this great awe about who God is. And many of us may not have uh, an idea of what Isaiah, what John in the gospel says, says in Revelation that when John saw him, that John did what? Collapse as though dead. And then it says, by his right hand, he was placed on him, and John recovered consciousness. Just the sight of Christ, he fell down. We know that song that says, in heaven, when I, will I see him? When I see him, will I dance? Will I fall down at my feet? It's something that we don't quite know what that glorious sight is going to do uh, for us when we see him. It will be a place where we are worshipping God alongside with all the angelic hosts. 
Heaven will be a place where we get to experience joy. Matthew 25 verse 23 says this and says, You've been, you've been faithful. Enter in now into the joy of the Father. That's what heaven will be like. Heaven is a place of joy. Unending joy. Eternal joy. That's the heaven that we're going to go in. It says, when every sinner repents, Luke 15 verse 10, that there is joy in heaven in the presence of the angels. Can you imagine what heaven will be like? When redemption will be finally concluded, when glorification will have been experienced by the people of God, what joy will inhabit the place called heaven? And guess whose who's joy we get to experience? It's the joy of God. It says, and, the, and, and there'll be joy in heaven over one sinner who repents in the presence of the angels. It's not the angels that are rejoicing. They'll be part of the joy. It'll be the joy of God that fills that place in heaven. Hey, are you, are you sorrowing this morning? Are you one that is experiencing or healing from some heartbreak and you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you one that is experiencing the sorrows of this life? Are you one that is experiencing a lot of grief in your heart. My encouragement is this, this is just for this life. When we get to heaven, it will be joy upon joy. It will be happiness upon happiness when we get to heaven. It will be a place where we are happy forever. Everything that causes sin, it says in Revelation 22, that anything that is cursed will be removed from the presence of those that are in heaven. You and me have like this. We have up, we have down and up, up and down kind of experiences in this life. That you and me one day are low. There are times when, I don't know if you experience this, there are times when everything is in place, but just feeling low inside. Do you experience that? Everything is in place. The, the wallet is overweight. The bank account is smiling. Ne neighbors are friendly and kind. But guess what's happening to your heart? feeling low. Those are the effects of the fall. Not so in heaven. Heaven it will be joy after joy. Happiness after happiness. That's where we will be in heaven. It will be a place of absolute happiness than we've ever experienced in this life. Hey, are you happy? May, may I also tell you and challenge you that that happiness will be surpassed by infinity concerning what we experience in heaven. It says there's joy in heaven. And then those that are faithful, the Christians, are welcomed into the joy of heaven. Have you ever wondered why it says come into the joy of heaven? It doesn't say come into the beautiful place. It's a beautiful place, quite all right. But the first characteristic of that place, it's a place of delight, a place of joy. Paul is imprisoned in Philippians and he says this. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say what? Rejoice. And Paul is in prison. And his joy is in the Lord. Paul is experiencing the worst of prisons. Somebody who had visited a certain brother in the Lord in the U.S. in prison. Was just amazed at how well taken care of those brothers are. They have nice Foods in there. It can be rough in some places, 
but in terms of diet, in terms of how they sleep, it's just a confinement that seems to be uh, what is difficult and distinguishing between those that are free and those that are in. So he's talking about how nice a place that place is. And he and the other one who was on the other side were joking about, why don't you just stay in here? Everything is provided for, right? Obviously, you're thinking like a typical Zambian where things can be hard sometimes, right? In heaven, the, the presence of God will be right in that whole place where we live. We'll get to experience the presence of God like we have never experienced it before. And everything that is good will be for us. Remember what Moses said, Lord, show me your glory. And the Lord says, I'll make all my goodness do I pass before you. Now notice, he's asking for the glory of God. And God is saying, oh my goodness. God shows his glory by his goodness. We'll get to experience the abundant goodness of God. Like we are singing to our bountiful Father above. That's a song that we are singing there. And that's very true. That's a place, that's a land that is fairer than day where you and me that are believers in Christ will be dwelling in forever. Let me hurry on as I move and conclude on this point. Heaven is a place where there's eternal joy in the presence of the angels. Why will some people be excluded from heaven? With all the, the heaven, with all that, what, that heaven has to offer, why would some people be excluded from heaven? Revelation 22 and verse, verse 3 and 4. Revelation 22, 3 and 4 says, No longer will there be any accursed, but the throne of God and the throne of the Lamb will be in it, and the servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Again, we don't know what the details of that uh, writings will be, how that the name of God will be on their foreheads. We don't know the details of that. But here's what I want to explain. It says, no longer will there be anything that is cursed by, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it. In Genesis, after the fall, he pronounces curses over the Lamb, and difficulties concerning childbirth and all those pronouncements and it says now you shall have thorns growing on plants and all these things that are affecting the earth as well to this present day how that the earth will no longer yield can you imagine those days most likely must have been like this just the idea of trying farming worked out just the idea of it you know we just threw some avocado uh, seeds Somewhere, tomorrow everything has blossomed. That's what the garden must have been like. There's uh, a certain quote, I was trying to look for it on my phone, I can't find it. It's not an inspired quote, but very interesting. Listen to this. Somebody that lived in the time of Christ, most likely when Christ lived here on earth and was about to die those 33 years that he lived, this person must have been very young and they lived on to the time that John lived and also just slightly beyond. They claim this and they've written it. It says, in glory or in the kingdom or in the millennium, 
they shall be on one branch. That's what he claims he heard from the Lord saying these words and he wrote them down. There shall be 10,000 grapes on one branch. And then he goes on to narrate how, according to him, he says, he heard the Lord say these things. Now he's not hearing the Lord from a vision or from a dream. He's hearing the Lord firsthand, according to the records that are written in church history. He says, there shall be in those days, in the renewal of life, 10,000 grapes on one branch. Just one branch. And it shall have many other branches. There shall be life and vegetation in perpetuity around. He writes those details in his uh, historical account. Now, whether that is true or not, it seems to lean in the direction of what heaven will be like. How that everything will be renewed. It talks about how that in the renewal of life, certain things will happen and take place. So alongside the cursed will be those that are unbelieving in Christ. Those are still affected by sin. They'll be removed from the presence of God. And God himself shall have only those that have been reconciled to him. So in Revelation 22 we see that anything that is cursed will be removed. And the sin that has infected non-believers has made them to be in a place where they are cursed before God. And anybody who is not reconciled, anybody who has not been clothed in the righteousness of Christ will be excluded from the presence of Christ. Not only just for a few weeks, but for the rest of eternity. The beauty of heaven will be the horrors, the opposite horrors that will be experienced by those that don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation 21 verse 8 speaks about those that are sinners that will be outside in the presence of God. Revelation 22 also adds to the same. It says outside are those that are dogs, those that are sinful in many ways. They'll be excluded from the presence of God. So the reason that people will be excluded from heaven is because of undealt with sin. They didn't come in this life to be forgiven of their sin. To be reconciled to God. So in the, pro- in the process, God is going to wipe them out from his presence. Matthew 12 verse 32 talks about the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. There's, there's one last part. It says, he who blasphemes against the Spirit will not be forgiven. It says, in this life and in the next life. That's the phrase I'm interested in. Dear church, if your, your sins are not forgiven in this life, your sins will not be forgiven in the next. That's the point he's drawing there. That's how come the sin of blasphemy will never be forgiven. Saying things about Christ, you will be forgiven. Insulting Christ, you will be forgiven as long as you repent. But talking ill about the Spirit of God, you will not be forgiven. Again, that's another uh, point that illustrates that sin is not just the same. If sin was just a sin, how come other sins are not forgiven? Like the sin of blaspheming the Spirit. Christ, in fact, tells us that the sin against Him, the Son of Man, will be forgiven. Sin against the Spirit would never be forgiven in this life and in the life to come. 
So the reason that people will be excluded is because they haven't believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. They don't have a relationship with Christ. In Matthew 21 verse 7, 721 says, Depart from me, for I never knew you. There's no relationship. The reason he's telling them to depart from him as opposed to welcome them in his presence is because they had no living relationship with Christ. Somebody asks, how can you know that you have a relationship with Christ? When you are alone, does the relationship continue? That's how you can know. Forget about coming from a Christian home. Forget about belonging to a church. Those things don't indicate much. But when you are alone, how is your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? If you have believed in him and your life revolves around the Lordship of Christ in your heart, then you are a believer and going to heaven. So sinners will be excluded from the presence of God. Number four, what is the connection between the gospel and the place called heaven? Heaven is a place where final salvation will be fulfilled. So the, the principle of salvation is this. We have been saved in the past from the penalty of sin. We, have, we are being saved from the power of sin in the present. And we shall be saved from the presence of sin in the future. That's what uh, this is about. Romans 8.30 talks about those that were predestined. Those who were justified will be glorified. They'll be glorified in the presence of God. So heaven will be that final place. And you can imagine what joy shall be in heaven. When finally the bride of Christ is home finally set free from the maladies of sin, from everything that uh, tormented her this side of heaven. Revelation will be, in Revelation we read about the consummation of all things. Paradise was lost in the Garden of Eden, but in, in heaven, paradise will be regained. So not, not all hope is lost. The only hope that gets lost is those that don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They go with the fallen world. But for those that have believed in Christ, we shall gain paradise. There's a time when you and me shall finally be back in the garden, in a much more beautiful garden than the Garden of Eden. There now God doesn't have to come and go. There God permanently dwells in his own. So the relationship is this. Heaven is a place where salvation is finally fulfilled. Heaven is a place where there is the consummation of all the promises of God. Lastly, why is heaven important to our walk? We sing one of the songs, it's not an easy road. We are walking to heaven. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. We shall be in a place where we are finally set free from everything that has been caused by the effect of sin in this world. Galatians 6, verse 9, 8 and 9. Let me read Galatians 6, 8 and 9. Galatians chapter 6, 8 and 9. For the one who sows to the flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. 
But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not give up or if we do not faint. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. Let us be in service to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Our service begins in the household of faith, among believers. These are the ones that we begin to serve, and then it extends to those that are in the world. And it says, do not grow weary. Do not grow, do not grow tired in doing things that God says you should do. Do the good that you're supposed to do, and especially to those of the household of faith. Those that belong to the same household of faith is another way we can put it. Turn to Mark chapter 10, verse 29. Mark chapter 10, 29 and 30. Mark 29 and verse 30 says, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mothers or fathers or children or lands for the sake of my gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecution and in the age to come eternal life. Do you see how that pans out? How that in this life we are serving and we are losing certain privileges. We are losing certain times that we ought to give to other things, but we're giving it to the service of Christ. And he says, guess what? You may, lost, you may have lost all these things, brother, sister, and mother, and so on and so forth, but in the next life, we shall gain eternal life. Everything that's to do with the life to come, that's our gaining. That, that's something that we shall be able to gain in the next life. Lastly, heaven is related to the gospel in that all wrongs shall be made right. Did you know there are some people that will be acquitted in court who get in a lot of trouble on the judgment day? Do you know that? There are some that will suffer injustices like I was saying in the beginning. In this life, for the sake of the gospel, they were punished and it seems as though the, the, the enemy triumphed. No, there's going to be a, a turning of wrongs to right in that day. And by that I don't mean that wrongs will be allowed. But what I mean is that people will be rewarded. People will be, like Jesus says, Behold, I'm coming soon, and with me is a recompense that I'll give to those that have been following me. Revelation chapter 22. Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 12, that's what it says. Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 12. Let me begin reading at verse, 15, verse 11. The saying is trustworthy. If we died with him, we shall live with him. Talking about our genuine conversion experience, how that when we died with him on the cross, we shall live with him. Then it says in verse 12, if we endure with him, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. There's a connection between the now and then. The gospel now and the gospel accomplished then. There's a connection there. 
a lot of people read this fast, the idea of us reigning with him. In 2 Corinthians, he's also talking about, 1 Corinthians, he's talking about how that these brothers have been taking each other to court. And, they, and then he says, that's Paul writing there, he says in chapter 6, isn't there anyone wise among you? But then again he throws in this, he says, don't you know that we shall judge angels? Did you hear that? Angels shall stand before believers to give an account for how they lived in eternity. Amazing thought, right? By us. Wonder who's going to judge Gabriel. Gabriel came to see Mary, came to see Zachariah. He is there in the Old Testament. And also those angels whom we've never known. There are about only three angels that have been named. In fact, actually two, I think. Michael and Gabriel. We're reading here that they have... There are myriads of angels. What, what, what the writer there is trying to do is that there are uncountable numbers of angels. While one third was expelled out of heaven, these are the what we call evil spirits in the present, two thirds remain. Can you imagine walking around, interacting with angels? What conversations we shall have post-judgment, having judged them, right? talks about how that we shall reign with him. Revelation 20 talks about how that they shall sit with him on the throne. The particulars of those details, I don't know. But here is what I know. In as much as heaven will be a place of worship, heaven will also be a place where we are reigning with the Lord Jesus Christ. I think what the Lord has done, like I was thinking last week, not much is, is, is said about heaven. I think we'd get confused if we had all the details about heaven. Just a few glimpses here and then. That's why in some theological school of thought, what they opt to do is to use what is called a spiritual view of interpreting things, where a number of things are spiritualized. The counter view also has another weakness where they tend to make literal everything that they see. I think a balance of both is what is there. How the certain things are to be understood metaphorically or spiritually or symbolically, and other things are literal. We shall reign with him, having suffered with him in this life. So don't don't worry about, oh, I wasn't even recognized at that in that particular congregation. Don't worry about that. There's one whose eyes nothing escapes around. There's one whose eyes sees right through everyone. He is described as he appears to one church, as one with eyes that are blazing, they can see through everything. Everything is seen by Christ. That can be seen negatively in terms of sin, but that can be seen positively as well. That he acknowledges every good that we've done. Remember it says in 2 Corinthians, that how that when we have, we're going to be judged, it says, for everything that we've done, whether good or evil, Believers can do evil, right? As well as they can do good. But all those two categories, they won't escape the attention of God. Have you ever thought about how, how this, this, this will be like? It's even difficult to picture how this will be like. Just, just look at us in this room. The many that are here. And, and how complicated just one individual life is. Will we all stand before God and every judgment has been passed? 
Or is it going to be some long queue in eternity? Or it will be so organized by God such that we immediately pass into the presence of God. We already know that we have been judged. We know what we deserve and what we don't deserve for the rest of eternity. I could go on and on, but let me end here. Let me end here. Because there are many questions that are asked about heaven, the answers are limited. Much of it has been left for us to discover when we arrive. In the goodness of God, that's what is done. While you and me might be wondering what the process of death must be like, and even trying to avoid it altogether, I can guarantee that the day we get to experience it, or the day when Christ comes, whichever comes first, we shall be in a place where we don't want to look back. Because what we'll have experienced will be something that is far glorious than anything that we've ever known. To the persecuted churches, he writes, uh, promising them the how that one day they shall be with him. In one church, he promises that they shall reign with him, the same promise that Paul is, 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 is putting up here. If heaven has all those mansions, if heaven has the streets of God, if heaven has the new heaven and the new earth, then the reigning makes sense. It shall be that we shall be in different localities while worshipping God. We shall be uh, fulfilling what Christ says in the, in the Gospels. You are faithful over a little. Here is the reward. You are faithful over two cities. Here are four cities. Faithful over five. Here are five cities. And finally we shall be are rewarded and we're going into the presence of God. So much has been left out in terms of what heaven will be like. But my encouragement to you is this. May we in this life strive to preach the gospel, strive to live the gospel, strive to honor Christ for our life regardless of the cost. And heaven itself will make everything that was wrong here right in heaven. Everything that we've suffered here will finally be repaid for when we get to heaven. May the Lord himself add a blessing to his word and may he continue to encourage us as we continue looking at this theme. Amen.